welcome to episode 245 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 28th of August 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Fanny. What about you? Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hi. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Will, what is UV mod? Well, full disclosure, I haven't tried this out yet, but let me tell you about it anyway. UV mod is a website which implements a piece of software which allows you to mod your Quan Sheng two-way radios. <laughs> they look a bit like Baofeng. I suspect that they come from the same factory, but they've got slightly different functionality, but they look very similar. These are entry-level, cheapest chips. They do CB radios. They do ham radios. They do like uh, what they call PMR, which is like private business radios for kind of security on a building site or something like that. They make a whole bunch of these radios, and they are reliable and they're cheap. But the software tends to be a little bit crappy. And what UVMod lets you do is build your own firmware, choosing from a menu of options that you can go to this website, toggle features on and off, increase the power here and change the frequency slightly there, enable all these other hidden features, and then flash your radio with that firmware from the browser. Now, you do need a USB to radio cable, but you can pick those up on eBay really cheaply, and they seem to be standard between a whole bunch of radios. It's a USB plug on one end and two jacks on the other, a 3.5mm and a 2mm jack on the other end. And you plug that into the radio, go to this website, choose your options, click Go, and it will flash your radio there and then, and then you can play with all these features that were previously there. Uh, caveat is that some of these features were disabled for good reason, and turning them on <laughs> is not advisable, or perhaps legal. So I didn't tell you. But check it out. If you're, if you're into this sort of thing, you've probably already found and played with this website. But if you're not, and you fancy having a radio that you can tune into, uh, I don't know, the ham frequencies or the CB frequencies, just for lols, then, uh, then check it out. It's a good bit of fun. You know that John the Nice Guy Spriggs is going to write to us now telling us, oh, this is illegal, you need a license, and blah, blah, blah. And he would be right. So you should not do this. Yeah. You should do this. <laughs> I love the bit, the warning up the top saying that there are unauthorized clones of UV mud. How ironic that the cloned radio company of a cloned radio company has a, a cloned radio website firmware company. <laughs> love it. The suggestion at the top that it's dangerous, uh, I think, is talking about like overdriving the the power of these radios. So you know, it potentially, it might catch fire or something like that. Right. So you, it might explode. Yeah. That seems a bit. Uh, mm. So definitely don't do this then. But definitely go to the website because if I was going to name the CSS file that does the background color changing, I'd name it every 90s color because it's just <laughs> from every kind of turquoisey shell suit pink and back again it just keeps just fading in and out of all the 90s colors so well done but come on just think of all those electronic things that you get that have leds on they mm. always have this demo mode it's only replicating that i know but that demo mode is never quite as 90s looking as these colors for some reason mm. I quite like it. Well, you would. All right, Phelim, Debian upgrades. Yeah, I celebrated this on Mastodon a few weeks back, but my server was sitting on Debian 10. Not quite as bad as Graham's server, but it was sitting on Debian 10 a couple of weeks longer than it should have because I was full of ideas to upgrade it, but then the family 
weren't going away at the time and I was going to only do it when they were gone. So I ended up just doing it one weekend and I went from 10 to 11 straight to 12. Not a problem. Fantastic. Debian should pat themselves on the back. Great work done. And even the fact that it went from Python 2 up to 3 because 11 would have had both, but I skipped along past that point, broke my podcast downloader script. So then I've finally upgraded to uh, using an app now. Antennapod? It is Antennapod, yes. Mm. I was trying to use Casts, but Casts doesn't quite work yet. It's still on the nightly build. Welcome to the 21st century, failing. <laughs> is it really, though? I think it's more the 20th, in all fairness. Like, I mean, I knew I was already behind the times of this, but I'm pretty sure it's not even the 21st. It's quite handy. Did you know that you can actually, like, search for podcasts in the app? Yes. And then you can, like, subscribe to them. And then, now, I've got to say, the thing I didn't like was the mark all as read, or listened to, rather. That is a right ball, like, because you have to select one of them and then say, select all the other ones, too, and then mark them as read, because I kept getting suggestions for things I'd listened to, like, years ago. And, uh, yeah, that was a bit annoying. But other than that, it's been quite good, yeah. It's absolutely excellent, Antenna Pod. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's not as good as my script, but I looked at trying to convert it from two to three and I went, it was shonky to begin with. It's just now saving it now. So I took it around back and shot it in the face. (laughs) Oh, I know. And you can SSH remote into Ubuntu server installs. Yeah, this is something I only just discovered, which I just have not seen. It's hidden up in the help menu, which is, you know, what were they trying to do? Never get it discovered? Because, uh, yeah, it was up there in the help menu. You can go up to that on the new, it's the new installer. And if you click on that, it can actually fire up the network, generate all the keys for the server. You can, I think you can even upload your own keys on, on that side. And uh, you can SSH into the installer and also have other terminals there. Because I had a problem at a client site and the person there wasn't quite used to doing installs. Now, in fairness, this was a broken bootloader, so it was a bit more tricky to deal with. You know, when you're trying to talk people through stuff that you do automatically, it's quite hard to sort of like break down every single step. And I just thought, why is there not a boot disk that I could just send to people that would have all this thing ready to go? And then I discovered this and I went, right, okay, like usual, all the things I think of are already invented. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so for anybody else who has to do a remote install and someone can just boot the CD and then pick this menu option from the help menu where you're at the choosing the language stage, yeah, off you go. So can you get to, like, the rescue command prompt from SSH then? So you've got, like, pure bare metal access. You can even do the actual full install as well. Uh, You actually run the installer. You know the modern installer that they've got on the server one? I I think they call it live, but, Mm. I mean, it's not really live. But, yeah, that installer can be run through this, through SSH. Or, yeah, you can jump down to a rescue console and do all sorts of things you'd want to. I can see this saving a lot of tire rubber wear on your car from uh, not having to travel about that's amazing i know why is this not remotely sort of advertised or if it was i missed all of it i can even see it on a more sort of local level being handy because you know going to your basement server rack or whatever you know you just kick it off get this ssh stuff going and then you can just go back to your nice comfortable office rather Mm. than being in the horrible basement or you know, closet, wherever you've got your home server. Yeah. 
And you can presumably use this via, for example, the AWS web interface, right? You can get a rudimentary shell. Well, it's not rudimentary. It's kind of okay. Shell through AWS. But if you can get it to the point where this is on the screen and then enable SSH, then you can drop out of those tools that are designed for bare metal access or even like IP-based KVM switches, and you can do it straight over uh, an SSH connection. Yeah, with proper sort of scrollable size resizing and things like that. You're not Mm. stuck to like an 800 by 600 or something. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's I think they even say that in the thing. It's like, I just wish that wasn't hidden up on a help menu. Like it just... I don't know how I found that. It was just pure chance. Graham, Cute Browser 3.0. Cute Browser, I think I've mentioned it quite a few times over the course of the podcast. It's a web browser with Vim bindings. So um, you can control almost everything about how you navigate the web using the same keys that you use or similar keys that you use for navigating through Vim. So if you use Vim as an editor, you already know how to navigate the web with Cute Browser. It works brilliantly. I've used it for a long time. It's a really great project. It's minimal. It's very, very configurable. You can get it to theme exactly in line with everything else. You can get it to tile perfectly. You can get it to run scripts. It uses Qt Web Engine as the web engine back end. So it's linked to Chromium in terms of rendering. So it runs everything. You can log into everything. You can access everything. Um, there's primitive ad blocking now with the Python ad block library. So Qt Browser 3 is a major update to this. The Most of the work has been done to port it from Qt 5.x to Qt 6. And this release works with Qt 6. So it's kind of mm-hmm. the future of Qt Browser. There's lots of ways of installing it. There are packages for Ubuntu. There's a flat pack. I've tried most of them. The way that I actually use is the manual install method from the GitHub repo. And it's really, really easy. It's it's a, it's a Python. So there's a script that will create a virtual environment in Python and install Qt Browser and all of its dependencies within that virtual environment. And I found that a really great way of running it. When you want to update it, you you only have to run the script again with a, the next argument and it'll update it and it'll do it quickly because it's just pulling from Git. I upgraded. It read all my configuration files, which are quite complicated. It will notify you of options that have changed and there's been a lot of kind of, they've improved the kind of terminology, things like that in a lot of the commands because there's hinting, just like with Vim, there's inline help. So you press colon, you see a huge list of commands and they'll auto-complete as you start typing them. And you can do so much with the browser. It's it's too much for most people, but it's a really powerful, enjoyable way of using the web. This new version, they've updated scripts for lots of password managers. So there isn't an integrated password manager, but there are scripts for sending it to, well, I use pass. That script's been updated. I think last pass, there's now support for that. And now the support for one password as well. There's lots of small options, but otherwise I just wanted to kind of bring it up because I think the project so such it's like a single developer who works part-time from sponsorship. Um that, that single developer is Florian Bruin and they do such great work on the browser and it's a really enjoyable way to browse the web and it kind of stops you from wasting too much time as well because you can I have other browsers open at the same time, but Qt Browser is my home browser for all the things that I use. And I've got such great muscle memory for all the forwards and backwards and opening things and bookmarking things and going and searching the history. Um, And 
just like it is with a text editor, and it's just a great way of accessing the web. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. Have you noticed that for the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common? It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials, but it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, phished credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it ensures that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. So support the show and visit collide.com slash late night Linux to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. All right, well, I've discovered that Linux is awesome. Again, I've sort of rediscovered that because I had a problem, right? The problem was I wanted to know exactly how good a laptop's battery was. Now, I've talked before about INXI dash capital B will give you a percentage of the battery health. But that doesn't necessarily tell you the truth. What I wanted to know was, are there any jumps? So as it runs down, sometimes it'll jump from like 50% to 15%. And then the estimated time left will just be way less than you thought. And so I thought, hmm, there's got to be a way to tell me via the command line what the current battery level is in percentage terms. And sure enough, ACPI-B. That tells you what the percentage is and the estimated time that you've got left. And so I thought, hmm, how am I going to do this with a laptop? Well, simple. I'll just do a cron job with five stars, so every minute, and write the output of ACPI-B to what I called batstats.txt. And you can do that either to the laptop or to a USB stick or to a NAS or whatever. And then just... Set it, I, I use Sky News because that's just a 24-7 1080p stream on YouTube. Full brightness, just get it going, make sure that it is writing out to that text file every minute, and then just leave it for a couple of hours. And then you see, okay, right, so it's gone from 40% to 15%, right, something's not right with this battery. And it just tells you exactly where you are with a laptop battery. And it just made me think, look, there's got to be a GUI way to do this on Windows and probably in Linux and probably about 50 other ways to do it via the command line. But it just made me really love that you can just put this stuff together in Linux with a few commands, a cron job, could have done it with a systemd unit, no doubt, instead of a cron job. There's always 50 ways to do it. But I just found this simple way of solving a relatively complicated problem of exactly where do I stand with this laptop's battery. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I had a great interaction during the week as well on Mastodon with some of the things that I thought I knew. And then I found some other stuff and just pinging back and forth between people. It's just great. It's like, oh, did you not know if you do this flag and you're like, oh, fucking hell, I've been doing it wrong all this time. It's great. Yeah, it really is good. And yeah, GUI could never do it. And just all the, this is what I hate about like all the other operating systems. Like, oh yeah, let's go to the app store and buy the shite UE app from this lad for three quid that literally does something like this and pipes it into a nicer text file or something. That's cool. Well, I don't know though. On Android, there's a thing called NetScan, 
which is just a GUI for Nmap. And Nmap, I can never, ever remember the syntax and exactly what you've got to type. Whereas this Android app, just connected to the Wi-Fi, hit a button, and it just gives me the same output in a nice, friendly GUI. Sounds to me like you should have got the network tools library from F-Droid. That would have cost you nothing. No, this cost me nothing either. Oh, okay, fine. Boo. I thought I was I was coming in high and mighty there. You've just hacked the <laughs> legs off me, you bastard. Yeah, I mean, sometimes a GUI makes more sense, probably for most people, but I just love that there's always that command line option mm. for whatever that little thing you want to do is. What did you learn about your battery then? Did it work? Like, did the, Was the experiment a success? Did you discover anything? Well, I discovered that it was reporting at 82% health. And sure enough, when it got down to about 17, 18%, it would drop to 4%. Mm. So exactly what I suspected. You need to top your battery up with a bit of water there, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the poles <laughs> might be running dry. <laughs> Well, also, I discovered that one of my really quite old laptops at this point is still doing very well. It's 90-something percent, and sure enough, just all the way down, 97, 96, didn't skip a beat all the way down to zero. You know, it didn't last quite as long as it once did, but nevertheless, there were no big jumps in it. So, yeah, it, it did definitely do what I wanted it to do. Graham, rewriting Wipeout... I saw this recently. Wasn't it leaked and then someone sort of rewrote the whole thing? Yes, so there's kind of two elements to this. So Wipeout was a PlayStation 1 game, PSX title. Racing game, it's still a, an active franchise. It's a, it was a revolutionary at the time. It's like a racing game, but a futuristic racing game where you kind of flew these kind of dark, they look like paper aeroplanes in a futuristic kind of trough of a, a racetrack. Like F-Zero-X on the N64. Yeah, exactly, yes. And the source code for an early PC port for ATI GPUs at the time, so very early GPUs, ATI 3D Rage, if you can remember those. So back in the day, those you had to write basically executables for specific graphics cards. And anyway, that version was leaked with the source code. So this isn't really an open source project, but Dominic Shablowski took this code and rewrote it and made it available and you can play it in a web browser, but you can down build it instantly on Linux and play it there if you want to. And it's a good game, but what Dominic did, which is really great, is wrote um, a blog post on the state of the original source code and how he rewrote it. And it's a really interesting read. There's like, he explains that, for example, the menu code in the original is 5,000 lines of if-else statements. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And of course, he's used the original code to understand how it was implemented, but he's rewritten everything, which probably isn't enough legally to protect him if Sony did decide to go after their original IP. But hopefully they don't, and the project now exists in a way that kind of can survive for the future with a modern re-implementation. And it's, you know, the game is old. You might not really want to play it, but it's a, it's a, it's an important game, and it's great that you can play it and read about how it was reported. I'm just picturing the developer like end of project meeting where some guy says, "Oh, have you not heard of a case statement?" The guy who did all that IFL's gone, "What?" <laughs> It was difficult because it was sort of port of the PlayStation version, and so there's a lot of code from the PlayStation development kit. In the original, this is a lot of assembler. There were different times, you know. I don't 
case has been around for a long time, so I'm sure there was case, but there may have been a reason why they couldn't use case. I have some amazing memories of playing this on a tiny 14-inch portable CRT TV, and my main memory of it is the music was just amazing for the time. Like I think the original came with music by the prodigy on there and and a whole bunch of other yeah like artists of the time which were just fantastic and it still holds up today the the gameplay is smooth and fast and it was amazing to see and to be able to run it in your web browser just just brilliant i love it it really captured that kind of at the time that kind of mm. post pub couple of your mates mm. come back turn on the playstation and you know have a maybe another beer and uh, play some wipeout to the music yeah. i've git cloned it now just so that somebody can do their worst <laughs> <laughs> will you found bash scripting cheat sheet yeah really quick one this one if you're doing bash scripting for whatever reason because you need something that's a bit more portable you haven't got python whatever it is and you're using bash there are often situations where you can't quite remember the exact syntax for whatever it is you're doing. And I found this the other day, and so went looking for something that was detailing exactly the difference between numbers and strings to bash, although it says that it treats them the same. Yeah, it doesn't really. And I found this this devhints.io website, which has got a page dedicated to bash, which is one page. It's quite a long page, but it is on a single page. And it's got basically an example of everything you could possibly need to do. No filler, no fluff, just pure information presented in an easy-to-read manner. And it answered all of my questions. And they've got these cheat sheets for various other languages as well. And they're all of the same style. I've never seen it before. I don't know why, but it was super useful. And this is something that I would recommend people stick in their bookmarks bar because I think it will be useful very often. It is very cool, and it's got loads of other ones too. Like, Jesus, there's so much good stuff in there. I do like a good cheat sheet. Yeah, I can hear your printer whirring as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that annoys me about these sites is that they don't actually fit on a sheet. Mm. Yeah, should give you a downloadable PDF that will print out exactly A4. Uh, Yeah, or an XO plotter sitting in the background whirring away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavour and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat them up and enjoy. Level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter and asparagus. My Two and a Half Admins co-host Jim tried Factor and said the meals were quick and easy to prepare and liked that there was plenty of variety. So support the show and go to factormeals.com slash late night Linux 50 and use code late night Linux 50 to get 50% off. That's code late night Linux 50 at factormeals.com slash late night Linux 50 to get 50% off. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to late night support. And remember for various amounts on Patreon, 
You can get an advert free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Wolfgang says, in episode 241, you discussed GoRead, an RSS feed reader for the terminal. While that was interesting, the discussion left me with the impression that none of you are using an RSS feed aggregator. I might, of course, be wrong about that assumption, but anyway, personally, I use fresh RSS, but I've also heard people talk about Nextcloud News for the same purpose. These aggregators let you categorize your feeds from different sources and, most importantly, to access the same feeds on all your devices, complete with read status and favorite synchronization. So for me, the real question when hearing about some new RSS feed client is whether it supports the API of my feed aggregator. For a while now, I've been using Newsflash as my reader on multiple devices, and it works just beautifully, letting me keep track of what I've read across devices and letting me manage what I read in one central place. So yeah, I mean, it's not very FOSS-friendly or self-hosted, but I swear I mentioned Feedly. I must have mentioned that before. That is exactly what you're talking about. And I don't have to piss around installing anything. But then I am at the whim of Feedly's servers going down and all the rest of it, which has happened before and it has been very frustrating. It's an interesting subject, though. I use Feedly as well. I think I've used Feedly since Google Reader went down and it was basically my stopgap of importing in all my Google Reader stuff, but I've just not moved away from it. I think I tried Nextcloud's RSS aggregator for a while, um, but I no longer run my own Nextcloud. Yeah, another Feedly user here. I just, uh, having it available in the browser, it suits my mental model and I don't have to worry about API compatibility or applications or anything like that. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, it plugs into most stuff. Like I use FeedMe on Android and the Feedly app is pretty good on iOS or at least on iPadOS. And I've tried out some desktop clients as well with it. And I suppose you do have to worry about that API, but that is, well, like you say, Graham, since Google Reader went away, it's sort of the name you know in feed aggregators, isn't it? Feedly. I use aggregator which is part of contact a kde thing failing no way i know you'll be shocked but what i had to do was chop right back all the feeds that i used to watch because i i like to read all the stuff but i never had time to read all the stuff and it used to really annoy me by the fact that i had literally like hundreds like i'm looking at it right now and it's 560 unread feeds and that is causing me to have a twitchy eye and get really annoyed by the fact that I haven't read them, but I just don't have time. The worst is when you put it off, you think you refresh it and it's like yeah. 80, right? I'll quickly just read these 80, right? That's done. You refresh it, it's like 500. It's like, nope, that is not happening. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next day you think, mm, no, that's not happening. And then you read that 500 and then you fucking refresh it and there's like 5,000. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. But failing. That doesn't sink anywhere. No, well, that's fine. Yeah, I use the same Feedly feed for three or four different apps. Yeah, but you see, what I try to do is I try to limit... It's like I don't use Twitter or Mastodon on my phone either. and I don't want to because I don't want it to follow me around. I want to just leave it somewhere. And then if I'm not near it, I can't look at it and it's not a problem. That sounds a bit weird, but it's like Hmm. I just don't want it to follow me around. I want to be able to walk away from it, walk the dog and listen to a podcast and not have to worry about like checking was there an update to a feed and stuff. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like I did try actually Nextcloud before 
And I didn't quite like the way it marked stuff being red or not red. Because even if I just brushed past it, next cloud, it seemed to mark it as red. I was like, well, no, I haven't read that. I've literally just touched it with the mouse. And that is not what I mean by reading it. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it never really worked out for me too well. So how do you doom scroll in bed then? <laughs> I don't is what happens there. I YouTube watch Big Clive and then I followed up with maybe mm. with Tom Scott and Scott Manley perhaps might be on talking about a rocket or something. A bit of hydraulic press channel maybe. Oh, a bit of hydraulic, <laughs> yeah. I do like a bit of hydraulic press, that's true. Yeah, recently they were crushing Lego. Ooh. It turned out to be surprisingly uh, strong. Oh, what's that one? Mm. Did you ever see the guy who's obviously does a bit of engineering with gears and Lego and it's like the one to 50,000 time down yeah. Lego. And he's like, okay, <laughs> right. That's more powerful than my car at this point. <laughs> yeah, just a little Lego motor, loads of fucking gears, and he's like bending steel and shit with it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sorry, Wolfgang. I'm afraid we all just uh, use Feedly, apart from Phelan, who is weird. <laughs> right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when, who knows, it'll probably be September by then. Already. Anyway... Until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.